Psalm 6 O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Psalm 6 is the very first penitent psalm. If we look back at what we've looked at so far, Psalms 1 and 2 are introductory psalms. And then Psalms 3, 4, and 5 are varying degrees of relationship to God, asking him to deliver David himself from his enemies. Psalm 6 is a contrast because rather than asking God to deliver him, David, from his enemies, he is asking God to deliver him from his own deserved judgment. So this is the very first penitent psalm. Uh, David is pleading for mercy from God. So this word mercy is often contrasted with grace. Grace is getting something that we do deserve. Mercy is not getting something that we deserve. And in this psalm and in many other psalms, what the King James translates as mercy can be translated as faithful love or loving kindness or steadfast love. And the reason that we can translate this way is we understand that mercy, showing mercy to somebody is like a loving act, even if it's not necessarily driven by feelings. We know that love isn't always feelings, it's action. And with this faithful love, loving kindness, there's that implication, faithful or steadfast love, it has to be faithful and steadfast because it has been threatened or challenged. And we challenge God's love all the time. As we can see um, in this psalm. And uh, God is though so loving that he shows mercy despite our shortcomings, however constant they may be. He is steady. And... um, these things all go together, right? So God's faithfulness and God's loving kindness and God's power, uh, they're all linked together. They're all kind of the same in, in a way. Uh, they're all parts of who he is, ways that we describe the oneness of God, that he is all one and none of these qualities contradict each other. None of them... Uh, fight with each other. They are all connected. His love and his mercy and his justice.
And that's that's kind of an aside, but it's not really an aside because uh, we can look at the psalmist and what he is asking God for is all reliant on the qualities of God that we know. So we look and we see that he, the psalmist is throwing himself on God. He's saying, return, O Lord, and deliver my soul. Um, the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. So he knows the qualities of God. He knows that God hears. He knows that God is merciful. Uh, he knows that God can heal, right? And so he he falls onto the qualities of God. Because we know the only way that the psalmist can know what God will do in the future, see it says, the Lord will receive my prayer. Um, that's future. He's not saying that, oh, God he has said God has heard, but he's saying the Lord will hear my prayer. He will respond. And he knows that because he knows God char- God's character. And that is the only way we can have faith in anything, it, in anything happening, any trust in the future. All that we can re- all that we know personally is how God has been faithful to us in the past. And if we look back at the past in our lives and in the past of human history, He has always been faithful and merciful. And so we can rely on that. Now, one thing that this this psalm does bring up, which kind of contrasts with what I just talked about with faithfulness and everything, is that it brings up the emotions of God. So if we look just at the first two verses, um, it's he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. So the Lord is angry and the Lord is displeased. And that's kind of weird for us. <laughs> We're like, wait, God is, God is always the same. God is f- the, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today. And forever, right? Um, and so it seems kind of weird to us that God could be touched uh, by anything outside of outside of Himself. That um, we could inspire emotions in God. And I think that um, God chooses to relate to us um, in a way that does. So this this is where it gets dicey. I don't want to commit a heresy here. <laughs> but God does relate to us in a um in a way that he he personifies himself like a person, right? So he talks like here it says return O Lord and deliver me. Well, God is God does not have to, you know, walk back into the room that he left. He's always able he is always able to see like the Lord um is that you know the he walks to and fro you know throughout the earth and everything it's like he's not uh, actually walking on the earth right now but he's everywhere and um the same thing I think this kind of carries over to emotions is that the Lord 
does. Um, he has strong feeling. He always has feelings about these things. They're constant, right? Like his feelings towards sin are always there. Uh, and his justice is always there. You know, those things are always constant. But when we do them, we see, we see them. They, they rise up to us. Like when we hit against God, that's when we see him opposing us, right? It's not that he suddenly turns and like faces us and sucker punches us. Like we keep on hitting the wall. <laughs> and so I think that, I think that that's kind of what's happening here. But I also think that God chooses to relate to us in an emotional way. Like God is not just this arbitrary set of convictions and moral truths he is a person and he can relate to our feelings and our hardships and our trials and everything. You know, if we look in Hebrews, um, it says that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So God understands. And, and Jesus is the real personification of that, where he becomes a man to fully engage in all of our feelings and our temptations and our hurts. Um, but God himself also can, can feel the emotions with us. And he, um, he has, you know, feelings and that's what the Bible teaches us. And, uh, it's, it's confusing sometimes and it's, it's a mystery, but I think it's important uh, to really think about the fact that we do grieve God's heart when we sin, and uh, he does love us with a pure love, too. It's not just like, I will love these people, I will send my son to die because it is the moral, the best thing to do. Uh, he actually feels this this kind, this loving kindness, this steadfast love, all of that, um, he feels deeply. And I think that's beautiful. And um, it, it's very nice uh, for me to think about. Now, I mentioned in the emotions, little time about the emotions, how God um, was angry, right? And uh, David asked him not to rebuke him or chasten him in the hot displeasure. But... Um, the thing is that David's reaction here is, it does kind of speak of the chastening of the Lord. So he's talking, like he's asking the Lord to deliver him, right, from his chastening. And then he's, he switches to, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Um, let all my enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. And in small group, we talked about how these enemies that he's talking about, these are not just like randomly brought in, um, in the middle of his chasing guys, like, oh my goodness, I'm dealing with God's chasing and now I got to deal with you. Like what's going on? <laughs> these are all part of God's chastening. And, um, it's not pleasant. You know, Hebrews says, um, that no chasing seems pleasant at the time, but it will bring a harvest of righteousness. Uh, and so, the chasing is not fun, but we see throughout all of scripture how God uses it to bring his people back to him. Uh, and this is a theme where the Israelites are always, especially after David, but you know, even before that, 
they're constantly going to idols. And then God gives them up to their, you know, to their vices and everything. And then he gives them up to the foreign conqueror. And they go to Babylon. They're, uh, they, they're conquered by Assyria. They're constantly being conquered by people. And then they finally return to God. And then God delivers them. Uh, and this happened all through the judges too. And that is, it's a very common theme in scripture that God does not just directly afflict his people per se, but he, he will chasten them by letting them endure the consequences of their decision. And he will also use, um, use these evil people, uh, these evil nations in a way to chasten his people. And that is what's happening here. And that doesn't mean that he does not judge the wicked as well, but he can use them to judge and to chasten his people. Uh, And this this is a universal pattern throughout scripture, really. Um, But then when the Lord does hear the prayer of the righteous, the righteous man, um, which, you know, he never, he doesn't really talk about being righteous here. He just talks about the Lord delivering him. And um, I think this is important as we kind of constantly see this distinction between the evil and the righteous man. The word righteous here is not used in the Psalms, in this Psalm, Psalm 6, but it's implied that David is seeking God and therefore God will deliver him. And uh, I think this is another important detail is that the evil nations can be used of God to chasten his people, but because they rely on their own strength, they don't even realize that they're being um, used by God. They think they're running the show. But the righteous man knows that even in persecution, God is in charge, and God is the only one who can deliver them from the oppressor. And then the last thing I'll, t- I'll touch on is verse 5. So it says, for in death, there is no remembrance of thee in the grave who shall give thee thanks. And this one is, this verse is kind of interesting to us. We kind of talked about this a lot. Like, what does he mean there's no remembrance of God after death? Is he saying something about the afterlife? And, you know, it's all very confusing and like, you can go, you can go a little crazy. But what we landed on is that he's not saying that the afterlife does not exist, but that it is the afterlife and it's not the earth right now. And what he's basically, he's kind of, you know, throwing God, he's giving God a reason to deliver him. <laughs> he's giving him some motivation. He's saying, when I am gone, who will, who will praise you? Who's here to be faithful and to praise you when I'm gone. Now, this is very self-centered seeming. And this will come up later where David feels like he's the only righteous one left. And this is something that is just felt by by Christians a lot. You know, it's not true. Uh, we remember, you know, Elijah, He God said, I have 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And this will come up, but this will come up in the Psalms later and we can talk about that. Um, David is not really the only one who gives God thanks, but he's simply saying like, I want to stay here to praise you. And this is like what Paul says, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So David is kind of acknowledging here that 
Um, you know, it could be that he's a little bit afraid of death because he doesn't really know what the afterlife is, perhaps. Uh, he doesn't know if he will continue after death. But he says that, you know, it's not so important to me that I live. Uh, it's important to you. I want to, I want to live for you to bring you praise, not just for myself. And that <laughs> is an attitude that we should all have. I, I believe is that like, it doesn't matter whether I live or die. It, I just want to live for you. Uh, and that is so, uh, it's a, it's a big thing to say, you know, do we actually live for God? And we could, I could ask this question and tell you, you know, my opinion on whether I'm doing that or not. Um, in general, no, in general, I do not devote every ounce of my energy to serving God. You know, I'll be honest. It's not, um, I'm definitely not where Paul is, you know, not at that level. And even he was not at the level that he wanted to be at. So you can't feel too bad about it. Um, but always to be seeking to honor God with our lives. Um, for sure. So to kind of have that motto of, and this is something that's true of God's people throughout history. We can see it's not just Paul being super spiritual, although he was super spiritual and David is super spiritual, but there's this understanding that our lives are nothing compared to the glory of God. Uh, so it does, it will do us well to remember that. And that is all I'm going to say about Psalm 6. Uh, it's a very beautiful psalm. Very good for when you're feeling melancholy and you can just be like, oh, my eyes consumed with grief. Great. Um, beautiful language. Very heartfelt. Um, I love that the psalms teach us, you know, how how to pray with our emotions and with our whole heart. And I will not keep on talking about this. <laughs> Please like and subscribe. This is the sixth episode of Girl Meets Bible. And uh, I hope that you got something out of it. And I really appreciate your listening. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.